All right, let's pray, and then we'll, then we'll dig into the passage. Lord, I thank you for allowing us to gather in this place today. Um, what a special day it is as we, uh, as we are able to gather together as a body of believers and celebrate uh, during this time, uh, celebrate your birth. Uh, what, a, what a wonderful, miraculous, crazy truth that it is that heaven came down to us and lived among us. Lord, you walked among us as we dig into this reality a little bit this morning. I pray that uh, you would move uh, in hearts. Lord, you have been over the last several months working in the hearts of uh, children here at Mount Carmel, and uh, I'm so grateful that you have been doing that. Uh, Lord, today I'll be baptizing Caroline, and uh, it, after this I will have baptized all of my children, and I can't thank you enough for, um, for answering prayers that Adrian and I had prayed long before we ever had children. As we look upon you this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move, continue to move as, as only you can, and that you would, through the reading and studying of your word, open up hearts here this morning. Perhaps there are those who have made it here today. Uh, who do not know you, who have not followed after you, who have not repented and believed, Lord. Perhaps there are those here today that have not been baptized and who do not walk chasing after you. I pray that your word would do its work in hearts this morning. And if there is one here today who hears these words and can say, I believe every word of it is true that they would be baptized as well and follow you for the rest of their lives. Lord, the water is warming as we speak. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move this morning. It's in Christ's name for his glory. Amen. So I want to kind of kick us off this morning. Um, I kind of want to share with you a little bit about what has led to this. So today, um, if I had to give a title to this sermon, today's sermon would be called, This is What Heaven Looks Like. This is what heaven looks like. Or in another way, Jesus is what heaven looks like. So November 1st, and I know this because I do a pretty good job of these types of moments in life, trying to take note of them so that I don't forget them. Um, November the 1st of this year, we were sitting around the dinner table, and um, as, as it happens, and I'm sure that as I tell this story, many of you will probably be able to relate. I know for me personally, it may actually be hard for me to get through this because there are some parts of it that whenever I think about it, I think about fears that I had when I was young, like real fears about my parents dying, things that were out of my control. So whenever we were kind of finishing up dinner that night and Caroline shared with us some of these real fears that she has, um, there were some like deep, like... Like immediately my memory went back to a particular moment in life where I shared with my father um, a similar type of fear when I was young. And I remember um, being immediately kind of cast back there. And at the same time, I remember um, as, as she was sharing this, this like deep joy in my heart that said, we know how to answer these questions, right? Like... We are a blessed people that when we are faced with these types of real 
fears from our children that we have access to the truth that we can share with them and give them great hope, overwhelming hope. So Caroline shares with us that morning that she's af- or that afternoon that she's afraid that her mother and I will die. And what am I supposed to say there? What do we say to our children? No, that doesn't happen. This is a worry that you don't have to have. Uh, do we push it off to a future time? How do how do you, how when you older parents here were faced with similar situations? I'm I wonder how you might have faced those things, right? And as I'm thinking through this and I'm working through this and we're kind of talking about it because immediately as she goes into this we're going to be like okay your your dad preaches and teaches so we're going to dig in to the one book that holds the, the truth and the hope that we have here and as she was sharing kind of her fear one of the statements that she said and, and it's the sweetest sweetest most genuine like wording that I could imagine one giving is she said, I'm afraid because I don't know what heaven looks like. How many of you, I wonder, from time to time, consider just how much when we look at Scripture and we think about the hope that we have in the future, find ourselves like missing some details about what it might look like and wondering that to ourselves. What must heaven look like and I want to tell you I want to tell you and we're going to look into this today uh, that you can know for certain some clear things about what heaven looks like and the way that we do this is we look head on into the face of Jesus because this is what I want to leave you with here today is that heaven looks like Jesus and heaven would not be heaven if he were not there Heaven looks like Jesus. So over the coming weeks after Caroline shared that fear with us, um, we kind of coming alongside her like, listen, this is a genuine fear that we all have. This is something that we all face and we have answers. We have place that we can look to find these answers. And um, and this is uh, one of those places where if you are a teacher in the church, especially for young people, that I want to say thank you to you because Adrian and I working um, in her life and working alongside her to figure these things out, we were not alone in this. You and your service here at this church, um, thank you because God has worked in you and is working in you. I, I, it, the, na- the, like, the number of children who have come in the last several weeks um, and professed faith in Christ is, is astounding. Um, I pray this morning that some of us who are on up in in years who um, would have the same type of faith that that our children are showing. Um, So uh, last week, as as we were digging in, we were probably, and Dad can attest to this, we were probably about 45 minutes into a conversation because after... Uh, Eva was baptized last week. Caroline immediately came up to me and was like, Dad, I want to be baptized. And I'm like, that's great, but we don't just baptize people, right? Like, So we'll talk about this. And, and this, she said this in the past, and we had this conversation, and a couple of minutes in, she was off to the races doing something else, but not this time. This time, 45 minutes into hearing me speak, and um, y'all can attest to this in about 45 minutes, it's easy to phase out. <laughs> Uh, she was not. She was dialed in, and she said a particular thing that I was like, "This is, this is, the spirit working in you because, because I can't give you what you just said." Uh, she said, "I believe everything he says in his book is true," and and in that moment I was like, "We're getting baptized next Sunday, baby," because I could tell you this till I'm blue in the face. But there's some foolish things that we're going to read today that, that your flesh will tell you is not true and that the only way that you can come to believe in these crazy realities is if the Spirit of God says to you 
the same thing that he said to her listen little one every word in that book is true so as we dig through today as we look at what heaven looks like I want you to be asking yourself the question do you believe every word in this book is true do you believe it if you do when I close and go to get ready to be baptized if you want to be baptized and you profess this truth come on come on the water might be a little cold I'll stay in it until my legs freeze up and seize up and I'm sure if someone drags me out of the water there'll be another one of these men who will step in to continue as long as we need to so do you believe the words that we read today are true this is something that I want you to consider today and we're going to be I'm going to not linger too long on any particular text because I want to give you a full overview of this hope that we have to know what heaven looks like as we look into the face of Christ so today we're going to be looking in Luke chapter 1 I'm going to begin reading in verse 30 So Luke chapter 1, verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Church, this, this is what heaven looks like. Let's go over now to chapter 2, verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. And there's a couple of things that I want us to take note of here. I want us to take note of like expectations versus reality. She's given a promise. We read this promise. What does it say? He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. We're talking about a king here this morning, are we not? And yet, what does the opening scene look like? Far from the palace do we find him this morning. What do we find instead? If we're looking for what heaven looks like, I want us to consider this. What do we see instead? What does our king look like? Does he come demanding to be laid up in the finest of hotels, in the finest of palaces, to be wrapped in the most elegant of garments? Do you not think that the same God that came to make promises could have made promises to a princess? Do you not think that when he made these promises that he would establish his kingdom forever, that he was unaware of where he would start? He started from the bottom. He humbled himself. This tells us something about our king. Because... I do not believe that there are many of us who would set out this type of story and that we would set it to begin like this. If we are kings, we want to be treated as such. Right? That's that's our nature. But look at the nature of your king. What would he do for you? To what extent would he go for you what's next verse 8 of chapter 2 let's look at this 
He's flipping expectations on its head from beginning to end. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you... Good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you, who's he speaking to here? Who are the who's the angel speaking to? These lowly shepherds, these men who on Christmas are working late. They're not in a place of comfort. They're out working. Did he come to the to the rich man in his high castle to proclaim? Did he send his angels to them? Could he not have? My child is in a manger. This child is king. Bring him to the castle. Could he not have made it aware to someone else who could have said, oh, whoa, 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 these accommodations are not appropriate for a king. Could he not have? Is this not something that the God of heavens and earth could have done? But what does he do? What does he choose? Who does he go to? Normal, everyday. He makes it aware to them. And he makes, it, he makes them aware that this gift that he has given is for all people. How else could you make it more clear who this is for than him coming in the way that he came and proclaiming it to the ones that he proclaimed this reality to. So we're going to fast forward from here a bit. If you would go to chapter 2, verse 52. So here we've seen the promise of this king. We've seen the reality of where he started from. And another thing that I want us to consider as we kind of press on through the, through the book of Luke this morning is, is this reality. We're going to see it when we look here in verse 52 of chapter 2. We're going to then look over in verse 23 of chapter 3, and then we're going to look up. There's kind of a, a little pattern that I want us to see something that comes up here. So verse 52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. What does this tell us about our king? He lived grew, studied, learned. He grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. And he grew in favor. Does your king, is he unaware of what it's like to live life? Is he unaware of your situation? Is he unaware of what it's like to struggle in life? Is he unaware of what it's like to grow? Is he unaware of what it's like to look in this book and learn? Scripture would tell us that he grew in wisdom. This is what heaven looks like. Your king, who in the very moment that he was learning was simultaneously holding together the entire creation with the word of His power grew so that He would know what life was like experientially. You don't have a king that you come to who is unaware of your situations. You don't have a king that you come to who is unaware of what it's like to live life, to grow. Let's look over in chapter 3, verse 23. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age. And I said we were going to kind of backtrack a little bit with this. I want you to consider for a moment what we're going to read here in a second. And that that's inclusive of the 30 years prior to his ministry beginning. We are aware mostly about what Christ did during His ministry because this is what God has given us in Scripture. But we can come to some conclusions through God's Word as to realities 
that must have been true in those 30 years leading up to his ministry beginning. And I want us to see this by uh, stepping back in the text. Chapter 3, verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. This was before his ministry began. He in no way failed to please God in a single moment before the miracles, before the casting out of demons, before the healing of the flesh, before the forgiving of sins, before any of this, He pleased God. What does heaven look like? When I consider what it might look like, I consider the life of Jesus that led Him to that ripe old age of 30. I consider the friends that He made along the way. I consider the community that He was a part of. I consider the labor that he put in with his hands and each and every step along the way, each and every day that he had, heaven was made known to those who were around him. Long before his ministry began, heaven was walking amongst us. As believers... There's something that I want us to take away from this because a lot of times the things that we consider great, grand, worthy of praise are not the everyday moments of our lives. Right? It's not. Like, like you look at like particular ministries like being a missionary or playing music or teaching or preaching and you look at these things and you say these are the moments in which God is glorified and well-pleased. I want us to take a moment to consider what it looks like to look upon the face of Christ and he's 25. And no one around him realizes quite yet who he is. How do we know this? Because he had to die and come back for his brothers to be like, yep, that's it. That's it. So he's 25 and he's living perfectly, holy. But it looks normal. It looks normal. It looks every day. It looks mundane. When you go about your life as a believer in this world, do not look down upon the places God has sent you now because you are a glimpse and glimmer of what heaven looks like because He is working in you to bring His kingdom. So now let's press on into chapter 4. So if you would, turn with me to chapter 4, verse 1. We're not going to read the entire temptation narrative here, but there's some, there's some points that I want us to draw away from this. Verse 1 of chapter 4, And Jesus, full of the Spirit, full of what? The Spirit returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit. Led by what? The Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Fast forward, verse 13 here, And when the devil had ended his temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Verse 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. In the power of what? In the power of the Spirit. As we get into these miraculous things that are going to take place next, I want you to consider um, the role of the Spirit here. Uh, We see Jesus going into these temptations full of the Spirit. We see Jesus coming out of these temptations full of the Spirit. There's something that I want us to grasp out of this uh, for for you as, as common, everyday, normal people who will go about living your lives filled with the most powerful entity in existence. You are filled with, if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that when Jesus went into the wilderness, He was filled by. The same Spirit that when He came out of temptation, He was filled by. The same Spirit 
that raised him from the dead, the same spirit that he promised his disciples he would send to them. The same spirit is working in you today as a believer. The same spirit, if you are not a believer today, works calling you to him. And I believe that he is powerful enough to open the sealed gates of our hearts when he so pleases. Verse 33 of chapter 4, And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, Holy One of God. So either the devil had gone out from that temptation, warning those that he was around and amongst that this is the Christ, or alternative, they've seen him before, before they were cast down. They recognize him. They recognize his authority over them. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And we fast forward again. We're going to cover these uh, these these really quickly here. So verse 41, we see another encounter with demons. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because... They knew that he was the Christ. You may find yourself here today, and you're probably going to fall on one of two sides of this. You're either going to think that spiritual things are foolish and that they do not exist, or you may fall, you may find yourself thinking that everything that comes your way is because of the devil. Like that tends to be the two extremes. There's a place in the middle. Um, the spiritual reality is real. Not everything that you deal with on a day-to-day basis is some demonic force out to get you. But in the, in the case that you come here today, and that is the case, in, in the situation that perhaps you come here today and there are forces outside of you that have been working destructively in your life, Christ has authority over them. This is what heaven looks like. There will be no disruptions there from other powers. He has authority over them. And it doesn't end there. Verse 12 of chapter 5, we're going to move into another realm in which Christ has authority. Verse 12, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. What do you think happened? Do you think that this man went away unclean? No. Scripture tells us immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus has authority over the flesh. What do we take away from this? Do you come here this morning and you have ailments? Have you asked Have you asked him to heal you of these ailments? Now I want us to be very clear here that no matter what you are healed from in this life, you will die and we will cover this next. Because all the miracles that you might experience in this world are not simply so that you can walk perfectly healthy here. They are to bear witness of heaven breaking forth into this world. This is why Jesus, after we get this example of, can He heal? Yes, He can heal. Will you come to Him for that healing? He will heal you. He will heal you. Now I want you to realize that the healing that he puts forward here is so that he can make us aware of a greater healing that we're in need of. We see this as we press on in Luke. If we look at Luke chapter 5 verse 18, and we're going to read, we're going to read this uh, all the way down to verse 25. So uh, follow along with me if you will. Luke chapter 5 verse 18. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was, who was paralyzed and... 
And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, You're healed, get up and go. What does he say to this man here? Does this man say, Jesus, come into my life and save me? Pay attention to what's happening here. Pay attention to the one who has authority here to forgive sins. When he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? You know what? They weren't wrong. God alone is the only one who has authority to forgive sins. What they were wrong about is who it was that was standing before them. So Jesus, perceiving their thoughts, answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. What is easier for him to say for you today? What's easier? Is it easier for him to say, be healed, get up, and go home? Or is it easier for him to say, your sins are forgiven you? If he said to you only, get up, be healed, go home, you will go home and you will find yourself one day facing death. All of the miracles that he has performed, all of the miracles that he will perform are to show us a glimpse of heaven and to call us to him by it. He will, if you will, come to him, forgive your sins. He has authority over the spirits. He has authority over the flesh. He has authority over sin. We're going to continue a little further. This king, this one who came from humble beginnings, this one who came for all people everywhere, he has the words that lead to life. And we're going to read a couple of them uh, here in chapter 6. We're not going to spend much time on this, but uh, if you're looking, if you're seeking, if you're wondering, um, he has the words that give life. And and this reality, he holds the keys to this upside-down kingdom that uh, as we continue forward through this word, I'm going to lose more and more of you who are not saved and uh, I pray that if you are saved, that, it, that you are led into this uh, truth and hope in uh, what this day that we are celebrating today uh, represents. But I am well aware that the only way that we will go from where we are right now to the end of this book, if you are here and you are not a believer today, is that if the Holy Spirit reveals to you that every word in this book is true. Before we get there, I want you to know that here are the words of Christ. Verse 20. Of chapter 6 and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God blessed are you who are hungry now for you shall be satisfied blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh I'm aware that we find ourselves in this most joyous of seasons oftentimes faced with uh, contradictory feelings and emotions for those who have gone on before us perhaps some of you have experienced loss um, in your families this year now perhaps some of you uh, have extended yourselves beyond your means so that you can look like everybody else on Christmas right your credit card debt come January frightens you Jesus speaks to us here. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. He flips things on their head. Blessed 
are you who are hungry now for you will be satisfied blessed are you who weep for you shall laugh do you believe every word in this book is true this is what heaven looks like do you find yourself poor you will inherit a kingdom. Do you find yourself hungry? You will be more than satisfied. Do you find yourself weeping? You will laugh. You will laugh. Do you believe this to be true? Church, do you believe this to be true? We're going to lose some of you here. Now we're going to look at Luke chapter 9 verse 23 and he said to all if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself there's some realities here for us to consider when we consider how it is that we would seek so quickly for the healing but we seek so little for the spiritual life to be given to us we would save and hold on to our lives so often versus give them up for him if you are called to follow him you are called to this type of sacrifice to take up your cross daily and follow him. Caroline, I want you to listen. When when you are baptized here in just a short time, I need you to consider that your life is buried in Christ and raised in Christ. Your life is not your own. It was bought with the highest of prices. I want you to live your life each and every day sacrificing it so that His name could be made great. So that others might see heaven in the life that you live. Can you do that? Let's go now to Luke chapter 18, verse 15. This is a beautiful text. Luke chapter 18, verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them and when the disciples saw it what did they do they rebuked them for bringing children to Jesus but Jesus called them to him saying let the children come to me and do not hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of God this is what heaven looks like church he calls children to himself truly I say unto you verse 17 truly I say unto you whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it when my daughter shares with me her fears of death and I tell her truth she believes me without effort without effort how hard it is for you as you age to come to him so much stands between you and him so much that you believe to be true that you will find is falsehood if you would just believe that every word in this book is true and do it like a child come to him with childlike faith And so we come to the end. Or, if you would believe, the beginning. 
Chapter 23. We're on the home stretch now. I apologize for the snot. We'll work through it. Verse 33 of chapter 23. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As they are there casting lots for his garment. Church, this is what heaven looks like. I dare say that not one of you finding themselves in this position cut down in the prime of life, nailed to a tree, would look at those who care so little for you that they would gamble for your clothing as you are strung up naked before everyone. And look on them and say, forgive them for they know not what they do. And you might come to me and you might say, Landon, you don't know what I have done. He would not forgive me for the things that I have done. And I say, look on the face of Jesus so that you can see what heaven looks like. Because He would, in a moment, in a second, if you would but come to Him, forgive you of all of your transgressions. Each and every one of them. Verse 38 There was an inscription over him. You know what the inscription read? Huh? You know what it read? Do you remember the prophecy that that we read earlier? He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and and of his kingdom there will be no end. And We get to this part of the story and it certainly seems like there would be an end because the greatest, at this time, the greatest kingdom that had ever existed on the face of the earth mocked this man by giving him this moniker, the King of the Jews. And placing him on a criminal's cross. This king whose reign will never end. They will kill him. But we will find out shortly if you would believe this that he has authority over spirits. He has authority over flesh. He has authority over sin. He has authority over death itself. Something must have happened. Because if you read all of the accounts of the crucifixion, you will see that there are two criminals that are hung on either side of him. And uh, both of these criminals are mocking him. But something happens to one of them. Perhaps he sees this man who forgives the ones that would do great harm to him. And something in that opens this criminal's mind. Verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, "You are not, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly. For we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, now I want you to consider this. I want you to consider that passage we read previously, they bring this man in to be healed, and the one who has authority over forgiving sins says to this man, your sins are forgiven. And now we find this man hanging on a cross who simply says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, the 
incantations that we will tend to put over people, like pray this, pray this, pray this, pray this, and then you're saved, and then we'll baptize you. As we look at Scripture, we see some interesting encounters with Christ. None of the ones that we've seen today look normal and ordinary by what we would tend to consider these things. So this man says, remember me when you come into your kingdom, not bring me with you, not Jesus forgive me, not I know what to say today and it's this, this, and this, but simply I recognize that you are a king of a kingdom that I have not seen until I laid eyes on you. Remember me when you come into it. And Jesus, dying on a cross, said to him, truly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Do you think that he was with them in paradise? Do you think that Jesus failed in that? Do you think that his repentance was not clear enough? Do you think that his uh, prayer that he prayed was not holy enough? Jesus said, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Moments later, Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. All of that, all of that, you could believe. All of it. You could hear it. You could be like, this was a crazy martyr type situation. Um, I don't know so much about all the things that he said. I don't know about the truth, the merit of those things. But one thing that you cannot say and believe without the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart is what we're going to read next in chapter 24, starting in verse 1. All the miracles, all the ministry, all the life, if he had stayed dead, would be for nothing. He was not just a good man with good teaching. That's not what we claim today. Verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, when they went to the tomb, taking spices they had prepared, and found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. As they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. He is not here, but he is risen. Some short time after this, there had been many appearances. At one time, 500 people saw the risen Christ. His disciples now more than ever looking for this kingdom to be established. And as they are walking... And as he is talking with them, he is surrounded by a cloud and lifted up. And I'm going to read from the Old Testament, from Psalm chapter 24, what I believe to be the events that took place shortly after this. When the king, whose reign would never end, ascended into heaven, walked through those gates, pushing them open with the hands of a man and seating himself upon the throne. And the angels must have been in awe when this took place. Psalm 24, 7. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, 
O ancient doors that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? Who indeed? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. I'm going to close this in prayer. And I pray this morning that if you do not know that every word in this book is true, that the Holy Spirit would enlighten your heart and your mind. That you would come to this great reality. And perhaps He has convinced you already and you believe this, that every word in this book is true, what would then prevent you from being baptized today? Committing your life to this one. May He swing wide the doors of your hearts as He did the gates of heaven when He ascended to His throne. Let's pray. Lord, thank You. For this day, thank you that we could gather in this place freely and openly. Thank you that there have been men and women before us who have brought this gospel message to us and that your spirit opened our hearts. We believe that you do that today. We believe that you continue that work. If there is someone here today who is perhaps hearing this, for the first time with new eyes or new ears. Perhaps they have railed against you as this man who once railed against you on the cross beside you, but he's seen something in you. Perhaps they've seen something in you, in your word, in this truth. Perhaps you have opened their hearts that they would come to you this morning, that they would submit their lives to you. Lord, there is... No standard approach to this. Repent, believe, be baptized. That is what your word calls us to do. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that you would forgive sinners like me. Thank you that you would give us hope and life. Lord, this is what heaven looks like. We see it only when we look into the face of Christ. It's for His name, for His glory. Amen. All right, so um, I'm going to go and get ready for baptism. Um, I trust that. uh, Dustin, would you come and do an exchange here? Um, If you do not know Christ this morning, um, and He is calling you... um, May he swing wide your hearts. Caroline, where are you at? Let's uh let's head back. We're gonna go get baptized.